The Dickheads are presented in color. Oh, wait a second. Like a pink laser beam of truth beaming straight from Ohio, Colorado to your ear holes. This is the Dickheads podcast. We have a very special episode. One we have been gearing up to do since we pushed record on the first episode because one of the most valuable sources of information that I have is the Pink Beam Companion, written by our guest today, Lord Running Clam. Yes, you might remember that name. You might recognize it, and we'll talk about that later. But every time I give a chronology or what was written here and when did he write this and what did PKD say about this book, nine times out of ten, I got it from the Pink Beam Companion or the corresponding website, the uh, uh, Phil Dickian uh, encyclopedia of, of, of Dick that's online. So that's where you get the information. And the person who compiled all that is uh, our guest today. And that's uh, extremely exciting for myself and uh, my co-host here, uh, David Wilson. Welcome, David, again Thank to the you. show. Thank you, so, so, Lord Running Clam, where, how did you get into Philip K. Dick? Where did this journey start for you? Well, uh, I'll tell you, I understand you lived in Indiana, right, David? I grew up in Bloomington, Indiana, yes. Oh, right. Well, for many years, I lived in Indiana. I had two wives there, and uh, I was working at Delco Electronics in uh, Kokomo. You know Kokomo? Yeah, it's a little further north than me, but yes, I'm very aware of Kokomo. I'm excited to hear you have an Indiana connection. Judging from your voice, you didn't grow up in Indiana, but... No, I didn't, no. (laughs) That's my Ganymedian accent, man. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get started on this, because you, Davies, want to hear this story. Um, I worked at uh, Delco Electronics for 10 years, from 78 to 88. As an industrial electrician, I maintained, you know, I'd go around and fix all the machines when they broke down. It was my job to fix them, anything from light bulbs to uh, computers. You know, that was, that was what I did. Union job, United Auto Workers. I'm real proud to be a union worker. So a union factory worker for General Motors at Delco Electronics in Kokomo. And about 1980, in fact, it was 1984, being on second shift, you know, evening shift. You, you get your machines fixed, you go sit on your ass somewhere, read a book. Okay, I was wandering around and I... I walked into the uh, tool and die department. There, laying on one of the uh, CNC machines, was uh, Eye in the Sky. I actually have the, I still have the edition from 40 years ago, from it was 1984, and I'll show it to you. Right here. This is the edition I had. I mean, that's the same. That. That's the actual book I read. I hate to take it out of the bag because it, it's falling apart. So this was this was laying on on a machine. I picked it up. It's about oh 10 o'clock at night. And um, I, uh, I, I sat down somewhere in a corner somewhere and started reading it. And I started reading it. And I read it till midnight when I got off. I went home and I, I sat down, smoked a joint in my, in, you know, in my little study, like similar to what I have here. And I read and read and I finished it all off. And it's about, oh, no, four in the morning or something. I finished it off. And I just looked up. And it's like my room, it just sort of like disappeared. It's like I couldn't, I couldn't tell what was real and what was not. It just vanished. And I sort of. You know, so of course I did what all, all the all the dickheads do. Next day I went out to the bookstores in Kokomo and I I looked for what I could find. And the first Philip this was '84 was Scanner Darkly and Valis. So I read first I read Eye in the Sky, blew my mind. Then I read a Scanner Darkly. 
And what, and what that that did for me after, in conjunction with Vallis was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to be a writer, okay? I am scribbling away in this factory in these secret corners, you know, trying to write some fiction. And I realized, wow, man, Philip K. Dick's written everything I would possibly ever want to write. He's done my job for me, which means I don't have to. I just become a fan of Philip K. Dick. As far as I'm concerned, uh, he, he, whatever he writes is what I would have written if I was would have been a writer. So I read a scan of Dark, and this is, of course, you know, and this is 84, and um, <clears throat> Dark is really is about drug, drug, not so much about drug abuse, but about drug, uh, drugs in a society. And, and, and it was written in, I believe, 70, 72, which is when, when I first come to America and, uh, you know, first started smoking pot. Okay, so I, I always assumed that uh, um, a substance D was an analog for marijuana because, it, it, the, you know, the repression, being in the military at the time, 72, 76, I was in the U.S. Air Force. I joined the Air Force right after I came here, okay? So uh, living on the barracks, we had, uh, uh, you know, the, of course, you don't want to be caught smoking pot in the barracks. It'd be like, well, they'll throw you in a brick somewhere, you know? So I always thought of Scanner Darkly was about, uh, you know, the sort of repression and the, and the life people have to live if they're, if they're smoking marijuana in the 70s, okay, or, or even on into the 80s, because it was the same situation in Indiana, of course, David, as you well know, you smoke a, smoke a joint in Indiana, they'll able to lock you up for life, you know, so. So I thought Scanner was about then, and I read Vallis, and then, oh, I just, just picked him up at random. It was a lot of fun in, in the, this was in, Oh, let me think. Yeah, it'd be late eighties and on into the nineties. It was always fun to go to the bookstores and uh, wherever you went, I'd always look for Philip K. Dick. And there was quite a few in the bookstores back then. Nowadays, there's there's hardly anything. You can't find a used Philip K. Dick book anywhere. Yeah, and so that's how that's how I became a fan of Philip Dick. I I, I thought that he was the greatest writer. And uh, if I wanted to be a writer, I would write. I wouldn't write like Philip K. Dick. I would write what Philip K. Dick wrote. You understand the difference. Now, now let's talk about, you know, we've got some great writers who follow, like I think of Jonathan Leafham. I'm reading his novels now. I'm reading uh, The Arrest. Fantastic book. He's got some fantastic novels out there. And, and he did what I did. He went out there to California and uh, became a, a writer and made it made it made it famous. Uh, I, I always thought Jonathan was brilliant that he could do that. Uh, and, and But I'm here I am in Indiana. I got four kids to feed, you know what I mean? And so, where were you? Where where were you born? And and where did you grow up originally? Because that accent is not Indiana. I can tell that. <laughs> well, I've been asked this question so many times. Sometimes I say Mars. Sometimes I say uh, Ganymede. But I was actually born in in in, in England in a, a little shithole town in England um, called Luton. I don't know if you ever heard of Luton. It's uh, just a little north of London. It's a dump. Okay, well it was back then. They spruced it up now, but. Uh, Back in the 50s, 60s, when I grew up, it was a, it was a dump. And uh, so I'm from England uh, originally. Okay. When those first couple of years of just finding the books, when did you like start to really take seriously studying this? Because it's one thing to read Philip K. Dick, which we all had that period. And then there's another period where those of us who like take this on as a scholarly endeavor – like jump to the next level where how did that step come about well that, that came about probably uh, right after i started reading for dick because uh, uh in the in the edition of scanner dark i had it was a paperback there was right on the front page was for the p dick society p.o box 611 glen allen california wow of course i wrote those guys and, and i i got a nice letter back from paul williams and uh 
I got I subscribed to the Philip K. Dick newsletter, of course, which went from uh, 82 to 92. So I subscribed probably about late 84, maybe early 85, I don't know. And um, I got all, all the newsletters and, and I'm trying, because there was no bibliographers back then. There was no there was no really list of what Philip K. Dick had written. There was no internet. You know, you, where did you go to find this stuff? You read about it in, in the PKDS newsletter. So I, I started keeping notes. But what really kicked me off was in 1988, I bought a, a Commodore Amiga 500 computer, beautiful computer, best computer ever built. I loved it. So I started uh, taking notes from the, the newsletter, any source I could find, you know, and uh, uh, and logged them in. But not, not really a database. I just kept notes. OK. And um, that all went on for, for several years. Then in 1995, I bought a, a Windows 95 computer. I ordered a special fancy Windows 95 computer. I transferred all my Amiga stuff to the Windows 95 floppy disk, you know, those little square disks that they used to have. And um, I just, just went from there. I started I just started compiling stuff, man. I just grabbed it from everywhere and put it, logged it where I could. And it took um, the right pink beam. It, Oh, from 95 to say about 99, I, I, I was compiling stuff, com saving notes and putting it all together and starting on different, uh, you know, different cover pictures, which which was a basis for bibliographies. You know, I had all these strange Italian editions or Spanish editions, what have you, and I'm trying to sort it all out. So uh, um, after I got that, then I started writing Pink Bean probably in about 98, 99. And uh, in 99, uh, it was a case of, uh, well, Indiana doesn't want me anymore, so I, I had to leave. <laughs> I won't go into all that. But uh, anyway, uh, I, I moved to Colorado to Ward, Ward, Colorado, which is 9,300 feet up in the mountains west of Boulder. And I, and I found a home there. My brother was there, and, and, I, and I moved him with my brother into a little log cabin about the size of this room. It was cold. It was, you know, you can imagine what it's like 9,300 feet in the winters in Colorado. It's a cold son of a bitch. So I'm up there in this little cabin with an old with a with an old computer, and I've got little gloves on my hand with my fingertips sticking out because it was so freaking cold, and I'm banging this thing out. So I banged it out between you know, basically 2000, uh, 2000, say 2001 to 2004. I got probably got it finished in 2004. Now I, now I looked for a publisher and, and I was working at the Ward Post Office as a substitute postmaster and, and, the, and the guy who was delivering the mail around the mountain communities, he was an artist and a musician. He was an old punk musician who hung out with the these guys at uh, Studio 54 and all that, Blondie and all these bands, you know, all these people, you know, all these old punks, okay? Well, he, he was, uh, he said, well, why don't you go to Lulu, lulu.com, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll help you publish it. So I went to lulu.com and, and I, well, as you can see, that I just took my Word document and that was it, you know, <laughs> shoved it all in there. And, and, and they published it. And Mark, my buddy at the post office, he did the, the brilliant cover with the pink beam on it. He's, he's, I've lost touch with him lately, but a guy named Mark Ivins, he, uh, he did the cover. And then I published it out on, on, uh, on Lulu in 2007, I believe. And uh, here we are. I'm, yeah, I wanted to do yeah. a second edition. Now we got to talk. We got to go back a little bit and talk about some of this process where you're up there in the mountains putting this all together. But in these early days when the PKD Society newsletter was going out, like, look, we have a really active and vibrant PKD community online. Now we've got Facebook groups. We have all this stuff. Mm -hmm. You guys were doing this 
before the internet. So you guys were probably trading letters and information like, you know, oh, yeah. in those days. So can you tell us a little bit about like the pioneer days of, right, uh, of doing this? Okay, well, I, okay, we go back to working at Delco Electronics. In, in, uh, I quit in 88, okay, I had 10 years, and they paid me to quit my job. I was so fucking happy to get out of there. It was insane. That place was, I should write a book about Delco Electronics, man. It was fucking insane. And anyway, uh, so I, I, well, what was the question again? I spaced out. Um, the early days of communicating. Um, oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I got you. Okay. So, so about uh, 1987, I've been reading Hunter Thompson. Uh, you know, I read his Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail 72, and that inspired me. And then, of course, I read um, Oh, Your Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, and anything else I could find by him, too. And it inspired me to do a political uh, newsletter, a zine, in, uh, uh, in where I was working in fact, So, in about 1980. I thought, well, I'll cover the 1988 election like Hunter Thompson did the uh, 72 election. So I, I got, I, I started writing articles and, and, and again, different shit. And I published a zine. And what was so cool about that was that I had, working on second shift, I had free run of all the copying machines at uh, Delco Electronics. I go up to the, I go up to the admin building and I, I, I this was called, uh, no bullshit, no bullshit, or no bullshit. Either one was the name of this thing, this political thing. All right, it's my breakthrough, and uh, I copy it off, and I go up to the, sneak up into the admin offices in the middle of the night, you know, ten o'clock at night. There's nobody around. I had this, they had this great big long IBM print printer that you stick, you stick your copy in one end, and about twenty feet later, chunks out, collated, stapled, and the whole bit the other end. You know, it's got I just cranked a whole bunch of these out. And I just uh, I, I got a hold of um, Fact Sheet 5, which was run by a man named Mike Gundeloid. Basically, what that was was a, a review of all the zines coming out at that in that period. And, and, I, and I sent copies of this, this politics newsletter, no bullshit, out to random people. And I, I met people like Kerry Formley. There's all kinds of people I didn't know who the hell they were. Realized later on they're all semi-famous, but I was corresponding. So I'd send out my zine and I'd write letters. I must have wrote. Oh, shit, 50 letters a week or something. I was writing letters, writing letters, writing letters. Everybody sends it out my zine. And then, then Paul Williams in uh, um, 1991, he announced that uh, he was going to retire the Philip Dick uh, PKDS newsletter. And well, that, that shook me up, man. Oh, God, what am I going to do now? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So uh, uh, I, I said, well, and Paul said, well, you know, we're going to hope some other people step in and do a, a Philip Dick newsletter. And I said, I talked to my wife, Barbara, at the time. It was part of, uh, we'd already been doing our Ganymede and Slime Mold on tour sort of thing. You know, we always had this little little unit, me, my wife, and her brother. We called ourselves a Ganymede and Slime Mold. So anyway, um, my, that's where I got my name, Lord Running Clan. My, my then wife gave it to me. And uh, I um, I sent, so I said, well, we'd do it. And I sent, and I started, I cranked out the first edition of FDO on my old Amiga. And uh, I again sent it out, and I, and I sent to uh, to Paul Williams and Andy Watson there at, uh, in California with the uh, you know Glenn Ellen. I, Andy, Andy, I mostly worked with Andy. I I, I had a lot of a really long correspondence with Andy Watson, and, and uh, uh, I, it, that faded out maybe towards the end of the nineties. Uh, and 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 you know, and that was it. Uh, that's that's for decades only. I mean, we managed to do. Let me think. Um, six or seven issue i like to get you know it was it was it was a, it was a, a 
my introduction to well the world of Philip K. Dick is I'm not I mean, could I just I can now write about it, you know. So I, I did. I'm not saying I'm not saying any of that stuff I wrote about that then was very good, <laughs> but I did. Was it was it an annual publication like when you 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 run, ran no. with? Oh, okay. It was no, just it was, whenever, it was, it was when I could, whenever I could get it done. Yeah, and I, I had a lot of help. But, you know, the first one was just a. a, a Copy, photocopy, you know, printer copied and stapled on the corner, and, and you know, half, eight, six, eight, ten sheets, whatever. Sure. And then after a while, I had help from uh, people like Scott Polens and, um, gosh darn it, the guy who was behind it in the next. Uh, I can't. I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. Anyway, I had help from these people who, who instead of having it just a corner staple, we folded it in half, stapled it down the middle, made it a wraparound cover, made it into a nice and looking edition. So. Uh, by num- time number four came out, which is a solar lottery edition, I looked really great. You know, Perry Kingman helped me. Uh, you know, Perry he passed away sadly, a big dickhead from Japan. And um, yeah, it got better and better and better. And then the uh, the internet came along, and you know, I, I did one 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 edition for I believe it was in '97, and I called it Edika, like a like a Russian edition of. The eat deco, I had no fucking idea, you know. <laughs> That's what I called it, and I put that online, and 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 then and then and after that, of course, you know, ninety seven, ninety eight. Uh, well, things are falling apart in Indiana, and uh, you know, there's a hiatus between then and, and moving to Colorado. Well, I know our listeners are probably screaming like, "Hey, go back and talk about this slime mold tour thing," uh, because it, okay, it sounds like. The PKD love was a family affair. If your wife is knowledgeable enough about clans of the Alphane Moon to name you Lord Running Clan, so what? Well, well, go back. What, what were you guys doing? How did you get? Did you get her into it? What, what was the deal on that? Well, okay, I'll get. I'll get it. Just let me show you a copy of her. Hey, and, and the other thing is, Lord okay. Running Clan is that from? I should know this if, in fact, that's this is the case. Is that from a Philip K? Is that a Philip K. Dick term, Lord Running Clan? Yeah, yeah he's uh, a character in, in Clans of the Alpha Moon. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, it's he's, been he's a, a Ganymede. read that one. Yeah, he's a Ganymede and slime old in in in, uh, in Clans of the Alpha Moon. So anyway, I've, I've written this tells this book tells all about that stuff in there. Okay, so a whole bunch of shit cool. in there. And we published this through Wide Books a, a number of years so ago. What's the title again? Because for the people who are, are not watching, the people who are listening to home, Ganymede and like, Slime Mold on the move. No, Ganymede and Slime Mold on tour. On tour. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and it's, published, it's published by uh, Henri Wintz and, and I in uh, uh, through Wide Books, um, our philippic publishing company. So, okay, you want to know about us on tour? So, uh, yeah, we're, we're in Kokomo. We're, we're very political, you know, um, very political, okay? But we're also uh, a bunch of uh, later-day hippies sort of thing, you know? My wife uh, and her brother was, he looked like uh, a young Carlos Santana. He, he had, uh, he always wore, this is, okay, this is in the 80s, okay? He always had bell bottoms with the fringes and the jingles and the jangles and the, and the hippie gear on. He looked like a hippie straight out of 1967. He's trying to resurrect the... Uh, in 1987, he's trying to resurrect 1967, the summer of love. Okay, so hell yeah, we'll go on tour. We'll go resurrect the summer of love. So we went to uh, Rainbow Gatherings, uh, Grateful Dead concerts, any all over all over the place. We went to New York City, North Carolina, Wisconsin. God, we ended up, we went we drove all over the place on tour, and everywhere we went, we had a. a 
a ubic flag, which was basically just a, a pole with a with a half a bed sheet with pink ubics written on it in big big letters, you know, build ubic flag. We flowed out where we went and and we were dropping talk to, uh, to us about Philip Digg. Who's that? You know, what's this? And uh, we also, of course, being zinesters, we always had a whole bunch of uh, zines to hand out. Some, some, some of my no bullshit zines in the eighties, and a few of the uh, um, F- early FBOs and and whatever we have, we make special things up. And we just, you know, have, having the uh, the um, the copiers at, at General Motors there at Delco, and also later on when I moved to. Uh, the Uniroyal Goodrich factory in Fort Wayne, Indiana, they were a, bit, a bunch of assholes up there, but I still got to use their machines, okay, even though they didn't like it. <laughs> so, well, I, I lived there for five years in Fort Wayne. You did? I did, yeah. Well, you remember that bookshop downstairs, uh, downtown? What was it? Like Dave somebody ran. Another Dave, I think, ran the damn thing. Dave. <laughs> <laughs> it's on uh, Washington or Jefferson down in Fort Wayne. Yeah, I love Fort Wayne. I, mean, I actually lived in New Haven, which is a little bit yeah, and, and the Goodrich factory was even further in Woodburn, almost to the Ohio border. Okay. So that's where, that's where I but that's, but that's where I used all that. That's where I put out a lot of the the latter day stuff we took on tour. Oh. We just uh, had I, think, I think half the zine movement of the 80s and 90s worked at Kinko's overnights and got that job specifically to make their zines. So. You, you know that's that's a part of zine uh culture is figuring yeah. out how you're going to get your free copies right <laughs> um, <laughs> was a lot, it was a, we had a ball we really did it was a blast we had a few bad moments of course like when we got busted at the canadian border which was a uh, uh, it's in my book but um it was it was hilarious uh, <laughs> uh for illegal uh ubic um spray cans in your yeah, yeah we, we had illegal ubic in the trunk right <laughs> yeah. Right. No man, we, we had some we had some pot. I mean, jo- Uncle John. I mean, we called him Uncle John or Reverend Doctor X. My my wife's brother. His name was John, but he he took the the sobriquet Reverend Doctor X. Okay, so he's Reverend Doctor X, part of the slime mold, you know. And uh, he he played for what he always wanted to have some pot. And he didn't know about getting it. We we're going to go. To, we were on our way to Toronto for the Anarchist Festival that year. I forget what it was. Eighty eight, I think. Eighty eight. We going to the Anarchist Festival in Toronto. So we drive up from Indiana to Port Huron, Michigan with the with the car, the slime mobile, and on the back of it is a is a little a little trailer we could sleep in, you know. And we had the kids with us. So there's me, Barbara, Uncle John, four kids. We're raising four kids. Jammed in this car in this trailer and when we get to the border the border there in Port Huron and uh, they, they asked just because I didn't even have a passport. All I had was my Indiana driver's license, you know. It's like, well, we are totally closed. I thought you just driving to Canada, no big deal, you know. What the fuck? No. So they stopped us on the U.S. side, and they and 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 you know they asked they asked uh, uh, Rev. Doctor X, have you ever been in trouble with the law concerning drugs? He goes, uh. <laughs> of course, when they saw that look on his face. Now they tore our car apart. They tore the trailer apart. They stripped, searched us, searched the kids, and then they found a like a, 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 a little baggie of marijuana in the buried in the trailer somewhere. Since yours, no, 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 no. Well, what happened was um, Reverend Doctor X. He took he took the fall. They tossed him in the port. This was July the fourth in uh, 87, 88, I think. They tossed his ass in a slammer over a weekend. Well, me and Bob and the kids hung out in Port Huron along the lake there, you know, and we sat and watched all the, we could see the fireworks going off all the way around Lake Huron. It was, it was fantastic. So then we, it's all, this is all in my book. I won't go into it, but it, then we, then we had to go 
to the arraignment on the, the Monday morning or whatever it was, the, after the July the 4th. <laughs> and there's John, there's the judge, some grumpy looking old fucker, you know, and there's all these people in the court, poor Mexicans and shit, waiting their turn of justice. And John gets up on the stand. He's, he's, you know, he's just emanating bad attitude palpably, you know, he's really scowling at the judge and he's, now nah, you can't judge, he's going on and on like a random raven and, and he grabs a hold of me, he's a, he's a true freak, hippie freak, a, a, a real brother and he pulls me up there on the stand so I get up there and I'm saying, you're on it, yeah, he's really sick, you know, you've got to, you got to be careful with this guy, he's, he's really, he's really, he's really got problems with his health, you know, I'm trying to excuse his action and the judge just goes, I merely interpret the law, and he, and he fined him, uh, I think, $300 or whatever, and let us go, you know, and we took him out, and I wrote, and they finally they, they decided to take a check, so I wrote him a check for $300 to whatever court it was in Port Euro, and bugged off back to Indiana, I haven't been back since, and the minute I got back to Indiana, I cancelled the check, so fuck them, you know what I'm saying, I haven't been back to Michigan since. <laughs> So that was a, that was a, that was our tour. And we moved that we moved on down to the Rainbow Gathering in North Carolina, that Asheville. That was a lot of fun. Dead, Grateful Dead concerts. We traveled around a lot. Yeah, we had a ball. Get the money. So you had that. the experience of going on all these tours and and promote, and you guys were promoting Philip K. Dick. Like, I, I'm sure in your experience, okay. did you ever have people eventually contact you and say like, hey, I became a dickhead because you guys. Um, you know, no, but I, I can't recall that. I do. I do remember down in in Florida, in St. Petersburg. Um, my brother was living there, and, and he had a couple of young girls. Well, not you know, that's a couple of young girls in his circle. And uh, I was talking about being on tour for the Grateful Dead, and and, and they liked it so much they went. They they themselves joined the Dead tour, so they went and followed the Dead around. So that's really the only influence I had then. Yeah. I don't know if I I ever inspired any Philip K. Dick people. I have no idea. <laughs> did you follow the? Did you? Were you a dead follower? Only to a, a small degree. We uh, we went to a lot of uh, um, a lot of the concerts, but we don't always go see the shows, you know. Yeah. So it's because you know we're we're, we're peddling our wares, you know. It was a lot of fun. We, we went to um, as part of our tour. We went to New York City. Again, it was '88 uh, for the uh, Madison Square Garden dead dead shows in August of '88. Uh -huh. and, oh man, we went. It was a fantastic show, and, and and of course, you know, we've been going to like the Wisconsin and and these other shows where it's more of an outdoor concert. But in, in New York City, you've got Madison Square Garden. It's in the middle of the city. There's no parks or nothing around it, so everybody hangs out on the street around the around right, the uh, around the uh, yeah. Madison Square Garden. I mean, I used to go to those in the early '90s, and that's why I asked because it's more like a, there's a it's a spectacle, right? It's kind of a circus. Mm -hmm. Like the perfect place to pedal uh, PKD paraphernalia, you know? Yeah, it was, man. I, I, I hooked up with, uh, yeah, I was, I was like, well, you know, it's hard, you know, when, when you've got a bunch of papers in your hand and there's a thousand people running around, around you, you gotta, you got to get rid of this shit. I can't Honest. just not do it. you got to go out there and you got to go out there, you got to go out and talk to these people and say, hey, buddy, why don't you, hey, why don't you yeah, read this? Yeah, yeah. Give me some spare change, you know, and of course, well, I ended up with pockets full of money, you know, but my pockets are bulging with quarters and nickels and shit, made enough to cover maybe cigarettes, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I was so, a boy, I'm not dead. Most of, these, <laughs> most of these travels were before you started doing the hardcore research, though, right? 
No, they were in the middle of it, really. Uh, Philip K. Dick was always a, a part of what I was doing. I was always reading his books and uh, thinking, and, and also putting out FDO, you know, for dickheads only. I was always putting, publishing that in the uh, in the nineties too. So it was all intertwined. It was all mixed in together. All right. So tell me about um, the uh, the actual research for Pink Beam, like. Did you start it kind of by accident through doing the newsletter or the, the zine and then just realize that you had all this stuff or what, did you have a plan from the beginning for, for this, this no, 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 timeline? Because no. that's really what it is. It is. It's a chronology. I never I never had any really plans. I just started compiling this stuff and and, uh, uh, and then finally it just sort of I had so much and, and I. And I started sorting it out, and I read, and I read. Well, I, I I knew I had to, to comment on all the short stories, so I read. I had all five volumes of the short stories, so I read all of them, and I and I wrote what it was you see in the pink beam. I wrote my reviews and and my you know my ratings and all that, and uh, and after that, of course, I I had to well, I had to read the novels again, sort of thing. So um, it, it all sort of fell together somehow. I don't know. Maybe I have some sort of minor ability in organizing and stuff like that. I don't know. Well, did, just for a, a quick uh, follow-up. Did anything, I'm trying to think of dates here, anything exist before Pink Beam like that sort of timeline? I mean, it's a, it's a really engaged and detailed timeline. Is that the first sort of... Well, there there are a couple there are a couple of zines that, that dealt with Philip Dick. I, I remember one called Dixieland. I think it's by Arthur Halavity uh, out of um, maybe somewhere down south, maybe New Orleans or somewhere called Dixieland. I had that, and and, and I you know when I, I'm sending all my zines out to all these people through Fact Sheet Five, and they're sending all their stuff back to me because you know nobody, I've got a few checks here and there, you know, but mostly you get stuff in kind, you know. So I'm getting all these weird weird zines and. Uh, you know, it, it just sort of, I don't know, it just sort of went on from there, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's really, I mean, the detail that you get down to about, like, the dates and times, like, how, how when did you know you were going to, like, actually do, like, down to the, to the very dates that he wrote everything? That was probably in uh, uh, 1999. When I, I just before I left, I left Indiana in 2000 to come to the mountains. And uh, what happened was, um, uh, I still had a, a Windows computer. I don't know if it's my original one. So I, I was, um, I, I was, I started working on it in Indiana. I started putting it together in Indiana, writing the pink, pink beam. And, and what happened was, the year 2000 was coming. You know, the 2000 computer bust. Okay, so. I copied all, all my folk, I did that on the, these little square floppies, you know. I had a big stack of them, I still got, I still got the damn things, that, you know, 50 different, you know, floppies. And I copied everything, everything on there, and then just as soon as 2000 hit, my computer crashed, black screen of death. I'm glad I got it off of there in time. And that, and that you mentioned earlier on online, the uh, Encyclopedia Dickie on the sort of website I have. I built that before I did I, before I wrote my book. So working on that that website, which uh, um, oh you know is is now on philipkdickfans.com. Uh, like, what was like your process of of finding those dates? Because one of the things, you know, we use your timelines constantly on the podcast because I'm always we always start the publishing and writing history with. What month this? What months these were written, and what what was written before, and what was written after? And I go to your website, the very first thing, 
when I'm starting to write show notes um, and or open the book to those dates. And usually I have both open at the same time. <laughs> so I use your dates all the time. How did you start sourcing those? Is it mostly well, from uh, Rickman's book and, and uh, Sutton? Yes, I was just about to mention. Yes, definitely. The, one of the first things I did was read uh, Greg Rickman's uh, biographies, uh, a biography and uh, Lawrence Sutton's uh, Sutton, I call him Sutton, uh, uh, Divine Invasions. And I also got all those tapes that were going around back then with the interviews, I think, that uh, Rickman did with um, various people. There was a Daniel Prez interview. Uh, there was a lot of interviews on cassette tape. So I, I got all those. I listened, I took notes, and I, and, and really the Philip K. Dick Society newsletter was really a, a, a wealth a wealth of information. I just I just I just got everything from everywhere, and I put it all in there, and then I had to sort it all out, which is what I did in Pink Bean. Right. Does that answer book, your question? You look a little unhappy there, David. Is that does that answer your question? No, 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 no. I'm not unhappy. No, it's it's that it's exactly what I assumed it was. But what's really Interesting to me is I I've always had this picture of you like like basically writing out each of the years and and trying to basically figure out what he was doing each month of of those years. It so I just picture you going year by year. Is that how you did it, or eventually when you got down to doing the book? Um, not really. Again, again, it. it, it it was more like a, a, a sort of jigsaw puzzle in a sense, like pieces fell into place <coughs> here and there, and, and then and then I had to, you know, sort of link it together. One thing I did I did I did not want to do when I wrote this was write a attempt to write a biography. So I, 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 I as far as his marital problems, his life, his what he ate for dinner, I could care less. You know, it's none of my business what he did with his personal life is why I look at it. So I, I uh, I was struck. I, I knew what I was doing. I stuck to the dates and the facts pertaining to the publication and the writing history of each of his books and short stories. I was I was firm on that, and I believe this is what well, was my guiding principle. Uh, I was I was I was focused on just that. I was not distracted by 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 all the pink beans and that, even though I included all that in there because it's it's part of it, you know. But um, and I, I was wanting to, I was wanting to get I I, I figured that. Here's what I think about Philip K. Dick, and I thought about it for a while. He's like a genius, okay? I mean, you know, here we are, we're in the middle of, a, of, a, of a, an intellectual revolution, and I've commented on this before. And while you're in the middle of it, you can't really expect to uh, pontificate on it and, and, you know, talk about it a whole lot in some sort of um, authoritarian way, because when you're in the middle of a revolution, you don't have enough perspective to step outside of it to see what the hell is going on. So I avoided all that. I avoided the uh, you know, talk of thematics. I didn't analyze his novels. Uh, and, you know, in, in, a lot of people analyze it in psychological terms or whatever, you know, or whatever. They're, maybe they're Marxist professors, so they write from a Marxist perspective or whatever, you know. I, I sort of ignored all that. I wasn't interested in it. I was just interested in the facts because... My point, and, and I believe Frank Hollander agrees with me on this, is you can't study something unless you have the basics down. And to get the basics down, you need to know when the ship was written, which is what I concentrate on with Pink Bean. Well, look, and for me, I'm really interested in like how the events of his life 
inform the writer sitting down at the typewriter and creating these things. That's kind of my thing. So your book is invaluable to me because I can place all like the timeline and I can say this is what's going on. And for example, like we joke a lot about the um, amount of money he, he was the amount of money stress he was going under when he wrote like three stigmata of Palmer Eldridge. And uh-huh. you very dispassionately point out like he wrote this letter about the money he owed on a parking ticket, <laughs> you know, right around the time that was written. Yeah. But because of your book, we know that. And then me, the pontificator, can use those facts about the time. And, you know, not everybody's Frank Hollander. Frank, I can ask him, like, hey, did Phil attend the spe- the uh, Hugo speech at the 69 conven- 68 convention? And he can tell me yes or no. And that's great. But um, not everybody can have that. So having the pink beam with as much information as possible about his timeline is so helpful for those of us who are doing biographies or writing books about what he's creating. So right, well, this this was my purpose, David. Was was exactly that that it would form a foundation for for further scholarship. And and, and you, you Professor Gill, David here, and a lot of well, they're all over the world. These people writing about Philip Dick now. You know, I mean, they're everywhere. And I I hope that I contributed uh, a, a a basic reference in that sense. And I'm glad that you use it that way. Well, and I got the same. I got the same comment from Maurizio Nati, the Italian uh, translator of Philip K. Dick books, and, uh, and and before he died, he wrote and said, "Yeah, I I, I, I use Pink Beam a lot in, in when he's working on Philip K. Dick translations over there. You know, he translated the Exegesis, and he involved all the Philip K. Dick fans online here in America in the Facebook groups, and we all sent him comments on what different things meant. You remember all that back here about ten years ago, mm. and uh, yeah, I got to know him through that, and." Um, Wait, did he, yeah. did he translate the, the Lethem cut of the Exegesis? Yeah, the big fat book. Yeah, he yeah, sure yeah. did. But I mean, yeah. that's that's Lethem pared that shit down, though, because there's a lot no. more that's, that's not in there. Yeah. yeah, I've always called for the complete publication of everything in the Exegesis. And Nick Buchanan, who, who publishes uh, PKD Otaku with Patrick Clark, he has an illustration that the, the unabridged Exegesis, like a big stack of books about this. Oh, one. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and you should know that uh, uh, at one point, uh, Gil and I had to tell uh, uh, David Wilson down here. We were like, "No, you have to have the pink beam. You have to have it in your. <laughs> you have to have it in your." I library. do. I, although, admittedly, I, I have yet to read it. But uh, uh, to follow up from before, if I may. Uh, so uh, you you said, Lord Running Clam, that. Um, uh, you kind of stuck to brass tacks, right? right? Uh, uh, chronologically, in terms of dates, when things happen, and all that. But right. you know, inevitably, one of the the book that I'm writing or conceiving of now has to do with Philip K. Dick's biographies. And one of my theses is that uh, you know, there's something about his writing, and we've talked about it variably in the past on this uh, podcast. His writing invites uh, uh, sort of, uh, or or rather makes people anxious in such a way where they get involved with it personally. You know, it's uh, uh, there is this biographical impulse that's sort of everywhere in his literature. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah. when you, for instance, like how do you, you said that the um, that pink beam includes a lot of, you, you do mini reviews of the, the different stories and novels. Yes. And stuff. 
Yes. How do you, how do you affect those? What what uh, what do you look at in your reviews? Is it like uh, this is good and this is why, this is bad and this is why, or is it? No, not at all. No, 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 no. I, I have a, a, a rating of between one and five stars, and 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 you know, I just it's just, for, it's just for fun. I just I just well, it's what, what I personally like. Like like I thought like the Unteleported Man, I think is one of his best novels he ever wrote. It's been highly denigrated and and dismissed, but I think the people who dismiss a book like. Oh, the unteleported man ought to be slapped upside the head. <laughs> so I gave it five stars, okay? I gave Stigmata five stars, Ubik five stars, High Castle five stars, Scanner five stars, whole bunches of them. You know, some of them, like, like uh, for my tears, I'd give four stars, okay? And some of them I'd give three. And I remember I gave, I think, two stars to Dr. Futurity and two stars to Vulcan's Hammer, one star to the short story, The Eyes Have It. You know, it, it's just, just a fun thing, man. Yeah, yeah, true. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I give little places of the plot, and I, you know, try not like 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 write a little blurb about the, particularly the short stories. I write a little blurb like you could have found on the back cover without giving away what's the story's about, but some sort of blurb hinting at what the story was about. And and that's cool for actually for general re readers who want kind of an overview of the material, but also for researchers who can use it as yeah. a reference material. Yeah. Well, well as a matter. David, let me let me continue. Other David, David is on, on on these these little mini reviews. I mean, we've published the uh, white books. Henri and I have published the the, the novels in the UK and USA bibliography, the short story bibliography UK, USA, and Oceania, and recently the the French bibliography of of Philip K. Dick published in France. And what's handy about that is I can use all these little little blurbs I wrote in pink beam and just sort of slot them into these bibliographies to explain what the book's about and then translate on retranslates into French and it's there in French, you know. I'm doing the Italian biography bibliography right now, translate it in the in the Italian, you know, it's 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 like it's an old Philip picture. What are you cut and paste sort of thing? You know, he's always using stuff from one story and plug it into another one, you know. What what's right. the, what's the it, French publication? Is it because uh, the French loved Philip K. Dick? Yeah, it's, I got one right here. I'll show it to you. It's uh, it's called what are you pronounce it in French? Precious relic, precious relics. Oh wow, see that looks nice. Yeah, yeah, it's relics. It is. It's a color, full color illustrations of every French French publication that we could find to deal with Philip K. Dick between 1959 and 2018. When we yeah. published well, and I always appreciated that about uh, Pink Beam is that you were honest about some of the stories. I mean, like we uh, are notorious on on the podcast, for example, for, you know, like we get made fun of a lot because we had a listener get very, very angry because we hated cosmic puppets. And uh, oh, that we constantly beat up on cosmic puppets is a long running joke. Um and now we have one listener who hates us, despises us because of our our anger at cosmic puppets, and it's kind of turned into a thing. But um, you know, we have some. You know, obviously, all of us have books that we like more than others, and ones that right. you know we're all huge Three Stigmata fans here. Um, you know, for example, um, but you know, different ones we like. At different levels, and that's okay. And even between the dickheads, uh, you know, Anthony famously did not like Man in the High Castle, and and Larry yeah. and I had to like we were we were just flabbergasted that he just. It's a masterpiece, man. That's, yeah. that's, that's well, I agree with you. 
I agree with you that it's a masterpiece, but um, you know, well, hey, he's a, a millennial. What can you do? Well, I, I, whenever I go out and and, and uh, you know, in general public, and uh, I, I talk about Philip K. Dick, and you know, a lot of the, the old timers out there, oh, the man, in, they remember the man in the high castle. People remember the man in the high castle, and they remember uh, Blade Runner. Okay, so you know, <laughs> there you go from there. But I but best get back to the cosmic puppets. I I, I rate it with five stars because I think it's absolutely brilliant. So I I would. Um, probably disagree with you, with you on that one Sorry. which is fine and you know it's more than fair to somebody should come on the show and defend the cosmic puppets because we certainly beat up on it a lot um we especially hate the boob mountain ending of it we made fun of many many, oh, many yeah. times but well here's but, the, here's, here's, here's the thing david let, let me comment further because it to me it's 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 when you read it, like what, like when you read that first Philip K. Dick book, I don't know what it was in your case, but when you read that first Philip K. Dick book, and it hits you, you, you're in that book, that you're in the middle of that book. You're not, you're not thinking about always writing about booze, or, or you're not thinking of anything outside of it, you know, or reflects on it. You're, you're, you're totally into it, and uh, and this is what I think that uh, one of the, the greatness about Philip K. Dick was his ability to make. To make his uh, stories seem like, well, you're you're in this, you know, because he wrote about ordinary people in a sense, in uh, in strange circumstances, and and he put you right in there, and 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 you realize that, well, man, like I said, if I was to write this book, I'd write it exactly like this, you know, you you you're you're there. It's not a it's not a, it's an immersive experience, not so much uh, on. Uh, the same experience when you re- reflect on it because if you go back and read say like eye in the sky now it's still a great book but you don't have that that immediate impact you had when you first read it i know this is all from big fancy this you know well and you're somebody who goes back from i mean even when you first got into things that we you had blade runner already but but the uh kind of explosion of philip k dick do you do you credit that to Total Recall and the um, – because I think it's Total – Total Recall is really where I – you know, I would seen Blade Runner, but it was Total Recall that got me to go read the short stories. So that was a huge part of it for me because I bought Volume 2 to get the – of the stories to get, and I still have my copy of that um, over here. And I was just looking on the shelf. I don't know where I put it, but I was, I was using it two days ago. Um but you know that was the one for me that really blew it up. What, what do you attribute the huge explosion in Philip K. Dick in your in your time, Lord Running Slam? What do you think did it? I, I would say it was not the movies. It was it was the novels themselves. Um, you know, we're, we're talking worldwide now. You know, he had, he had good translators, and he was translated. Oh, in, in, you know, dozens of languages all over the world in the 90s, <coughs> 80s, 90s, or in fact, all the way through his career. They, these, these foreign countries have been publishing his books. You know, his for France, 1959, Italy, 1956, you know, it's when they first published the Philippe Dick translations. So it, it's a worldwide phenomenon. And I believe that the, the, the books themselves, like me, they created all these fans all over the world. Just little groups of fans have popped up and... Uh, and, and, and well, they call it a cult. It's not a cult. It's just a, a, a think, a like thinking of minds on the brilliance of this great writer. And I think that, that the books and the, and the, and the groundswell of articles, the academical articles, even though most of them are really bad, I've talked to Frank Bertrand about that. And uh, 
I think it was more the books themselves that, that gave groundswell to the movie. Because I tell you, when, when Blade Runner first came out in 1982, uh, it wasn't as well received as it is now. I mean, all, of, all the dickheads were complaining about, oh, they left mercerism out there, blah, 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 this, that, and the other. It wasn't until, until probably 10 years in, sometime in the 90s, that people uh, decided that Blade Runner was some sort of cinematic uh, masterpiece, you know, which it obviously is in a sense, but it was not, it was not, in, in another real sense, true to the novel, you know. So um, we we had a disagreement on that. I I like Total Recall. And I like Scre- I think Screamers is a is a is a really uh, a good version of Second uh, Second Variety. You know, it, the only thing it lacked was man, they didn't they didn't push it enough. They didn't put enough money into it. You know what I mean? Yeah, we yeah, we liked thing. Screamers on uh, the Dickheads podcast. We we right. appreciated it for its it's- low budgetness. <laughs> But with Blade, Blade Runner, you meant, I mean, so the problem with Blade Runner when it came out, uh, um, you know, it was everybody wanted Star Wars and was expecting Star Wars or some version of that. And it was very serious and very antithetical to what uh, um, George Lucas was doing. But between Blade Runner, was there a dick adaptation between Blade Runner and Total Recall? Did Screamers come before Total Recall? Total no, Recall was 90, 91 or so, right? Yeah, Total Recall was 90, Blade Runner was 80. I think Screamers came out a little later. I I could look it up. I, I don't have it at hand. But. No, I'm pretty sure. But here's the thing about the Screamers um, screenplay. Long before it ever got made was very important to the timeline of things because Dan O'Bannon was – he had a screenplay of Second Variety called Claws that mm-hmm. was floating around Hollywood before Blade Runner got made – um, in the aftermath of Alien, and it actually, a lot of people believe that Dan O'Bannon's interest in Philip K. Dick is why um, Blade Run, like Hampton Fancher, had an easier time selling Blade Runner because oh. Dan O'Bannon had interest. You know how Hollywood, like one person has interest, somebody else wants to try beat them to something. Yeah. And just like the same thing of like Paycheck started moving forward because Steven Spielberg was making. Minority Report, right? Right. But one thing to another. Um, I'm not are there a, any I'm of the not, movies you like, uh, Lord Roddy Clam? Uh, besides, I, uh, I totally despise Minority Report because to me it was just a bunch of bullshit. I'm sorry. I mean, Steven Spielberg. I I have no love for him. If you remember back in 1982 when Blade Cut Runner came out, its big op- opposition, its big competition in the movies was E.T. Okay, so E.T. of course wiped the floor with Blade Runner and then took all the glory, you know. But they came out, both came out in 1982. So you know, uh, I, 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 I I like Total Recall because I thought it's hilarious. I like it like when um, Sharon Stone kicks him in the nuts and says, "You know how much I hate this fucking planet." You know, that was a great line I thought. So I like that one. Uh, I, I I've seen them all. I, I I used to have posters. I'd go to the movie theaters when they played them in the end, like Next and. Uh, uh, paycheck. I'd go to the movie theater and say, can I have that poster when you guys are done with a the run? They'd say, yeah, sure. So I'd go get the poster. You know, yeah. I had an original Blade Runner poster, believe it or not, a great big gigantic thing. Yeah. And of course, it got left for all my other stuff in Indiana, so I don't have it anymore. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely Skater Darkly is the one that feels most like Philip K. Dick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah but, I agree with but, you know, there's hits and I think, you know, he brought a lot. Those movies brought a lot of attention towards Phil. So I think, you know, in the end, it, it's a good thing. But um, but let me, let, me, let, me, 
Let me interject here while we're talking about the movies. I would, I would also mention um, you talked about A Scanner Darkly. But let's not forget Radio Free Album, you know, with uh, John Allen Simon and uh, Elizabeth Carr producing. I thought that was a brilliant movie because it, it's sort of, they're talking about, you know, it's like, okay, where's this movie going? It's just a regular sort of movie about 50s sort of uh, thing going on or something, you know. And then it just totally, totally turned into the strangest movie I ever saw. Tell us about what you're doing uh, next year in Colorado, because uh, we fully uh, intend to be there. All right. Okay. Well, all right. Well, you see this T-shirt I'm wearing. It's uh, this is from the 2019 Philip K. Dick Festival we had. I don't know if you can see it very well. There you go. That's from the, the 2019 festival we had in Fort Morgan, Colorado. So what happened was, I'll go into the history of these festivals. Okay. In in 2010, I was living up in uh, in Ward, Ward, Colorado, and uh, and me and my wife we we went to the casinos at Blackhawk. I don't know if you ever heard of these places or not, but Blackhawk is, is directly west of Denver. They built a fancy four-lane highway all the way up to the casinos in Blackhawk and Central City, all right? So a, a casino town. So we went up there and uh, we, 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 we played the machines. I play slot machines. I what the hell. And uh, I, was, I was like $100 ahead and we get ready to go home and then a snowstorm snowed us in. So we stuck overnight in, in Blackhawk in, in a hotel uh, couldn't go nowhere, so we went back down and spent my, lost my $100 back in the slot machines. And it occurred to me, just sitting there that night, it says, I got to do a Philip K. Dick Festival in 2010. It just bumped into my brain. And I said, okay, I guess I got to do it. And, uh, and, I, and I had no clue how to do it. But I did it. And uh, we, well, <laughs> uh, you have to talk to the people. There was a lot of fun. Um, not a lot of people, but some really, really brilliant people. David Gill was there. Oh, crikey. Um, Eric Davis, uh, Patrick Clark, Perry Kinman, John. Uh, oh, crikey. I'm, I'm sorry, I forget all the names, but a, a, lot, of, a lot of people showed up. Sam Umland was there. And, we, and the theme was Man in the High Cars. You see this, see this festival sign up here? This one up here? That's, that's actual. Yeah, uh, gotcha. one, of, one of the actual signs we had outside the, uh, the venue in, uh, in Blackhawk or. Actually, what we did, we, we, we associated with a bar called The Last Shot, Bar and Grill Last Shot. It's a biker bar between Netherlands, Colorado, and Blackhawk, right on the highway. And we had a, we had a convention there, man. It was a it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, we can hardly hear ourselves talk from all the Harley Davidsons going off, you know what I mean? But it was, it was a ball. And we had a blast, man. It was, it was a lot of fun. So after that, I, I said, well, I can't really do festivals up here. Philip Dick's in, dead in Fort Morgan. And... Uh, I said, so well, we move our operations to Fort Morgan, and, and it took took from 2013 to 2017 working with the folk in Fort Morgan to actually be able to put this on in 2017, which we did. So we did the 2017 festival; it was great. And then we did the 2019 festival. We were going to do another one in 22, but I cancelled it because of COVID. You know, COVID was still, you know, still in effect basically early 22 which would have been Phil's uh, 40th anniversary of his passing, you know, in, in 1982. So we just had a little gathering up there, and uh, there's something in the latest PKD Otaku, some fan comments about, about that and some photos. And then uh, and then uh, what fired, uh, inspired off this one for next year was was news of a comic con. I thought, well, how they got a comic con? There's 30,000 Philip K. Dick fans, possible Philip K. Dick fans there. Let's have another festival and invite them all down, you know, because I, I see the comic con as an opportunity to get people from uh, get the word out about how you know our festivals in Fort Morgan 
how great a town Fort Morgan is. It's really a, a it's out in the prairie. It's like this self-contained. I mean, you, you, I think they, these guys in this town, I think, could solve any problem they ever faced. You know what I mean? There's a real competent bunch of people in that town. And we put on the festival, and, uh, and I got to know them all. And, um, and we're preparing for, for next year right now. I have a, I have a team that we've put together uh, where we got David Gill, Zach Wood, Cameron Mitchell, Henri Wentz, uh, Brent Huzenga, and me. So there's six of us. And these and these guys are help, helping me and get get it together in the in 2024. And the dates, so we already set the dates. I'll show you the sign I made up. You can see it. <laughs> June yeah. 13th through the 16th, 2024. Yeah, Portland, Colorado. Eggs, are you going? I am going. I'm I have going already ahead. committed. I'll, I'll go. Yeah, so, come on. Uh, we got we got some great people going to be there. Uh, I'm not sure who I've, I've, I've asked David Gill to take care of because uh, of his successful 2012 festival in 20 in, in San Francisco. I mean, he's got all these brilliant people: Rudy Rucker, oh, you know, Paul Salmon. Uh, I know Professor Gill did a great job, and uh, uh, I said, "Well, David, you know all these people. Why don't you invite these people? Come on down." Of course, I'm stepping all over his toes, wanting to get more people in there, but. It, we basically we have a uh, we're going to get there first evening, David. If you're going to go first evening, Friday Saturday we'll have our, our, our speeches and all that. And and uh, no, yeah, for, Friday Saturday we have our speeches. Saturday night I'm not sure what we're going to do. We have had a, a like a little banquet and, and musicians play and, and whatever. And we did a, a little play at the last one, but I'm not sure we're going to do that this year because what what I really like about what I really want to happen at these festivals is I want all the fans to get together, become friends, talk to each other, and, and get to know each other. You know, it's all about the fans, okay? Uh, and not so much lectures and, 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 and watching, being entertained, but more involving, involving amongst ourselves, you know, uh, more friendships. And, uh, you know, so, so from 2010, uh, the, the, the Black Hawk Festival I started, David Gill uh, put on the 2012 Festival in San Francisco. You know, it took four years to move on, you know, I was a little frustrated with the time delay to the 2016 festival there in Riverside or Anaheim, wherever it was, you know, the big conference they had there at the, uh, I forget what university is now. So you see data, you see at Riverside. Yeah. That's where I just went to do research. You were just there. That's right. Yeah. 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 So, you know, um, so it's been, it's been, to me, it's been a sequence. And to me, at least I I spoke to the fans at the 2012 festival in, in San Francisco and my, part of my address was, you know, we need to put some place where Philip and Dick can be separated and, and uh, celebrated and, 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 and have a place of his own. And I thought, well, if we, if we leave it up to these guys in California, well, they're going to put it in San Francisco or somewhere. It's going to get lost amongst all the other things going on in San Francisco. But if we do it in Fort Morgan, it's a big deal. You know, it's, it's got its own place. It's separate. It's it's a major thing for that town. Well, not the major, you know, I'm saying, relative speaking. It's, it's something that, that the town can get behind and it will be something uh, separate and, and indistinct, not indistinct, from California. In other words, we'll put it out on the prairie. Why not? Where is that? That well, makes I sense. Think that, yeah, I think that's cool too because that's <laughs> also where he's laid to rest and, you know, that's, that's uh, you know, obviously something that is, is important. So here's the thing, like as somebody who gets down and nitty gritty and, you know, uh, it's somebody who likes to 
think about like these little important moments in his life. The the pink beam has been um, a, a constant, you know, source of information for me. And so, of course, I could nerd out all day on the nitty gritty of of how you do that. But I don't think the listeners will be as interested as as I am in that aspect. Although I love hearing your stories. I did not know this about you, that you were traveling around doing the Slime Bulldog tour thing. That's great. Um, Got to read your book about that. That's that's hilarious. That sounds like a really good time for one. There's there's other stuff in that book, too. There's a lot lot of articles I wrote for PKD Otaku in there, and there's it's like a miscellany of crap I wrote since since the eighties. So there's there's politics, bad politics. Who gives a shit about nineteen eighty eight election? But I got a couple of things in there about it. And, uh, and you that's know, still in print from wide. Uh, wide book, yeah. Yeah. You get on Amazon. Go to Amazon. Type in Ganymedian slime mold on tour. It's like. So where yeah. do you feel the? Uh, you know, how do you feel? What do you feel about? You definitely are still involved. You want people to come to the festival. So where would you like to see PKD scholarship go in the future? Hmm. Well, I would like to see it go to Fort Morgan into an institute there that they can build and run and they have invite artists in residence, scholars in residence, and they do all the old whole academic thing where people talk about and have a retreat sort of thing. That's my dream, but that's a, that's just a dream where we're only beginning. I will never see it because shit, I'm 72 years old now. I'm half fucking dead, you know what I mean? So uh, <laughs> I won't see it. I, I hope someday that Fort Morgan uh, will, will take um, take on Philip K. Dickers. They, they, they have a favorite son there. It's, um, oh, that musician, Glenn Miller. Glenn Miller would spend his youth in uh, in Fort Morgan. So they have a, in the museum there, they have a, a big Glenn Miller exhibit and, and, you know, celebrated in the town. They have Glenn Miller days and all this, you know. You know, the old, the old band musician, the old big band musician from the 40s or whatever, you know. Well, Philip K. Dick, I mean, I'm, 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 I've been talking with him for years and, and getting closer and closer to them putting a permanent exhibit in the Fort Morgan Museum. So that when fans, because people go to Fort Morgan from all over the world, they go to the grave, they put their little trinkets on the grave or whatever, and they, they hang out in the town. Wouldn't it be great to have a little museum exhibit they could go see too? In other words, it, it, it attracts Philip K. Dick fans into Fort Morgan. <laughs> Right. I, I totally agree. I love the idea of a writer and artist in residence too. I mean, uh, facilitating and and supporting that sort of thing. That's, that would be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, then, uh, then again, back to Fullerton off San Francisco, as compared to Fort Morgan, not only you you have a a, different, it's a different environment and you will get different perspectives. You being a scholar, David, you'd know this. You're going to get better, different opinions out of the people living in Fort Morgan, Colorado, where they, not in the big city. You're going to get different things out of the big city. Uh, I think that there's room for everybody. I mean, David Gill is talking about maybe doing something in San Francisco in uh, um, 2028, you know, uh, another festival, which would be great. I I say there's room for everybody, man. Go go for whatever you want to do, David. Both you, Davids, do whatever you want. We're all all fans together. All the Davids working together. We're we're all working on it. Not me. (laughs) Yeah, that's right, man. It's, It's... it's 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 a whole it's a worldwide phenomenon of appreciation for a great a great and brilliant writer. It's just not stopped. It's still going on. I mean, golly, you you go to these foreign countries, you you'd be amazed at the stuff they're doing. Italy's got all these 
don't know how they do it in Italy, all these weird salons and stuff, you know, and, and they talk about that they have their little festivals and, you know, it's going on everywhere. And I like to think that we started it in 2010, again, because we know it was happening in the 90s. Uh, in England, there was uh, Nick was telling me about, Nick Buchanan telling me about the, the one he went to in 1994 where Paul Williams was there, and I can't remember who else, maybe Greg Rickman, a whole bunch of, uh, you know, those, those 90s dickheads were, were there. Well, there was nothing happening then, because what happened was, see, it all, all comes back to Paul Williams for me, and I've written about this. Paul Williams... As, as we know, uh, he brilliant man. He towards he had a, a bicycle accident. I forget maybe 1995 or something. Uh, the, the, the the caused him all kinds of health problems, and I, I guess he eventually died. Or he couldn't 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 do what he was doing before. And, and I, I was out there waiting. Well, when, when, when's when's Paul Williams going to have this festival? And it never happened. And I finally found out that he'd been um, or had this accident, and he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. So I thought, well, shit, I guess this is why I got to do it, you know? Like, Wait, you know, yeah. who am I, right? But who am I? I'm Lord fucking running clan, man. Who the hell are you? you know what I'm saying. So I did it. Well, yeah. that's where the timeline comes in, too, because Paul Williams becomes important. And we can discover this because in 70, summer of 77, Joan pulls Phil up to Sonoma. And he and Paul mm-hmm. already knew each other because he had written the Rolling Stone piece. But... That summer that he was in the same city as Paul Williams is one of the things that deepened their connection and ended up, you know, is why he trusted Paul to, to run his literary estate when he died. Right, right. If he, he didn't run his literary estate, who knows how strongly we would have had the push towards the vintage editions and so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah. Paul Williams is, is, is crucial to Philip K. Dick fandom. He was basically the founder of Philip K. Dick fandom in, in 1982 with being his executor and uh, starting the newsletter. I mean, they, the, the Philip K. Dick newsletter brought us all together from all over the world. It, it made contacts that, that were very critical for me anyway, and I think yeah. for other people too. Uh, Professor Wilson, do you have any uh, other questions for Lord Running Plan? Um, are, yeah, one. One is that so? Are you? Do you continue to to uh, work on fresh material? Like, is there stuff that you're? Are you currently working on anything PKD related? How about that? Yes, yes, I am. Uh, in concert with Henri Wentz, White Books, White-Books.com, uh, we're working on the Italian bibliography, and then we we're probably about. 70 75 percent done I, we've got the, the the main part of the bibliography done but now it's the it's the, yeah, the the accompanying essays and and all this um that we have to we have to write and, and put in there it's so it's taken us years i mean it's been an on again off again thing so the bibliography is is definitely pressing i, I always write an article with some sort of bkd otaku and i i'm thinking of um putting together a, a, a thing to commemorate the fans, you know, from my experience. In other words, uh, you know, my experience as a fan and, and, you know, photographs of all these weird things that we have here, a sort of a memento for, for Philip K. Dick fans about, about ourselves, basically, you know. That's, but that's – I've always got several things going on, but not all of them reach fruition, you know. Yeah. Being a professor, I'm sure you know all about that, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have lots of stuff. What is your field, David, by the way? What do you, what do you, what do you teach? Uh, so I actually have a master's in science fiction studies, but my PhD was just in kind of, I mean, my dissertation was on science fiction, but mostly American literature and African-American literature. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. Not I, film studies. I, well, I got a question for you then. Sure. Now, now one of the, the, the my big uh, and, and my big complaints about Philip K. Dick's scholarship is is you 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 as you know everyone's writing theses and, and this and they're publishing all yeah, these yeah. journals and, and there's big long lists of them from all over the world. Is is people 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 will say something about Philip K. Dick or, or, or write their opinions out or whatever, but it seems to me they've not really done their research. Uh, you know, it's easier to, to say something uh, in a glib fashion, you know, uh, uh, whatever. You know. Oh, Philip K. Dick was uh, affected by his mother's drug addiction or whatever. You know, there was mother. Yes. You, know, you know what I'm saying? It's real easy to say that sort of thing. But my, my, my thing here is, you've been an English professor, and I've talked to Professor Gill about this, is what we need is, a, is a, 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 an English literature critique of Philip Dick's work that is up to date, that... You know, because now, okay, when you when you're talking about uh, criticism, literary criticism, people, uh, you know, you, you, they use common terms like memes, icons, uh, all these all these things that you hit, you hear people talk about. Okay, well, where did where did the term meme come from? How did it originate? What part of what literary theory do these terms come from? What is the applicable literary theory that we're operating on? In other words, the received literary theory to criticize literature. Because my point is, Philip K. Dick is a friggin' genius. He changed the whole, the whole modus of, of criticism. In other words, you can't criticize Philip K. Dick in some uh, old-fashioned school of, of criticism. He, he, he needs to be criticized in a different way. But we have to understand where the criticism is coming from before we can formulate the new, the new way of criticizing. You know, you know what I'm saying? So it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a job for you as a literary professor to tell me what the hell is going on? I know you ain't got time for it now. No, I mean, that's a long question and that we've debated a little bit here. I'll give you a short answer. I'll try. Um, I, personally, I'm very, I am very much interested in the texts themselves. I am, let, unlike, for instance, uh, um, David Agronoff, who is ultimately interested in biographic, the biographical aspects of mm -hmm. Philip K. Dick's uh, literature. Yeah, I I'm try to do both. I try to be well, no, oh, no. absolutely, yeah, uh, yeah, but sure. that's your. I love biographical criticism too, uh, uh, and uh, everything having to do with biography and autobiography. But for my, as a literary critic, let's say, I'm more interested. Almost, I'm interested almost exclusively in the texts themselves. So, for instance, the book that I'm going to be writing on the biographies will focus on those biographies and how they criticize precisely what you're saying, Lord Runningland. Uh, how they rather symptomatize Philip K. Dick's, uh, um, the actual man vis-a-vis -vis his literature. And uh, I think that's entering dangerous territory by saying, oh, this happened, for instance, in a book, hence this must be happening in his life. If I, right. When I make claims of that, well, I wouldn't say claims of that nature, I'm very careful about historical context. And if I tread into waters where I think that I might violate that, I shy away from it, you know. But right, you're absolutely right in saying people feel, and again, this goes back to Philip K. Dick's writing being very uh, uh, kind of invoking this sort of personal relationship with it, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, people feel very free to, to do that again and again, despite potentially, uh, uh, you know, taking liberties with truth. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it all, it all, it's always back to the pink bean craze. It's always back to Vallis. You know, it's so back to Vallis. Vallis, yeah, yeah. the masterpiece. You know, what what did this book do to literature? Well, in my mind, it, it destroyed it destroyed 
literary categories, genre categories. You know, it just blew them away. This is a whole new thing right here. And until you, we can explain what's come before and understand what's come before, not only just in the term, term of publication genres, you know, what the publishers, you know, they, you know, you get these, science fiction now you got to write a big fat book before you can even sell it you know it's like publishers demands and because we know fought against this his whole life long to to get his mainstream acceptance so so we have to understand where we're coming from before we can apply this knowledge to what philip k dick did to the uh to the world literary criticism you know what did he do i mean he changed it i mean we talk about the pink beam and and how he, he brought his life and all of his previous books into this whole exegesis like uh, proposition you know uh, but but you know he's I, you know people say oh he's a gnostic he's this he's that he's he's all this but to my point of view he's a writer he's a science fiction writer he makes shit up so <laughs> i think that he he, he some maybe had this weird pink beam experience the authenticity of which even tessa i've heard puts to doubt I'm not this sure. Very podcast. <laughs> yes, yes. I was actually listening to it the other day, and uh, uh, so what do, you, what do you, what do you, how do we go from here? Is is what I'm saying. Um, he changed literary. He changed the nature of literature. To kind of tie things up a little bit, that's one of the reasons why your work, Lord Running Clam, is so important to us because you've given us this timeline you've done that work and for the years and and for me personally um i have to publicly thank you because so much of the research that was done for this podcast has been done via v your work and repeat and 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 i just want you to know that you have done uh so much of the of the legwork that, that we use for this podcast and well, so thank you we'll, we'll, we'll hear well, your word echoed in almost every episode. <laughs> well, thank you, David. Um, I'm glad that you guys read my book and find it useful because I, I came from I come from I come I came and I come from the position of a Philip K. Dick fan. I'm like a Manchester United fan. Philip K. Dick is the best writer in the fucking world, and I don't want to hear about anybody else. You know what I'm saying? So, who, okay, and this is another another. I'm sorry, I so said we're running late. This is another one of my pet peeves about. Uh, Criticism of Philip K. Dick. Oh well, you know his writing is good. It's bad. You don't know how to write. You don't know how to write. Well, give me a fucking break. You don't know how to write. Who do you compare him to? Who do you compare him to? John Creasy, uh, Updike, F. Scott Fitzgerald. These are books that are written from 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 an objective sense. In other words, the writer's writing a book and it's in a sort of third person or something. Well, when you read Philip K. Dick, you ain't reading no. No distance between you and Phil. There's no distance between you and Phil when you read that novel. It's right there. You're you're that novel. You're that character in that novel. That protagonist. Yeah. I can't believe anybody can say Philip K. Dick's a lousy writer in any aspect whatsoever. So I always jump over to ask. I'm a fan, okay? Manchester United's number one. Philip K. Dick's number one. And I will put all the other teams and all the other books and other writers below all of Philip K. Dick's works. So people say, well, give me, you see these lists here on the internet. Well, what's the 50th greatest science fiction books all the time? I always say, well, we'll put all kind of Philip K. Dick's novels at the top of the list and append everybody else at the bottom, okay, which is a fanish <laughs> attitude. So, I, so I'm a fan. I book no, I book no criticism, uh, and I'll take anybody on, on, on that score. So how's that? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, listen, that is a great uh, uh, note to end on. 
uh, like serious passion. How can people uh, find your work and, uh, and can, can they follow you online or, or are you uh, not a social media creature? I don't think you're a social media no, creature. I, 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 I was. I got, I got disgusted with it because <laughs> Facebook or a number of years ago, probably about the time that, that orange piece of shit showed up. 2015 or so, 2016, and uh, <laughs> I just every I find I found myself online arguing politics with a bunch of strangers all the time. I just say, hell with this. I don't want to deal with it, and I and I I don't. I got a Facebook account. I forgot my password, and every time I try and go there, it says once my password. Well, I don't remember what it is, so I never go there. You know, so. Uh, gotcha. uh, so yeah. they can find wide books online, and yeah. they can find yeah. the pink. Pink Beam Companion is is uh, yeah wide books. Uh, Pink yeah. Beam Companion is out there. People can buy it if you don't have it. Um, you know. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, you, you just you go, for, for for wide uh, Pink Beam with that one up there. It's on Lulu.com. It's where they sell it at. But if you search for Pink Pink Beam by our Lord RC, it'll it'll pop up in the search results. And everything that we do for wide books is 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 published through Amazon's publishing service so in other words amazon is is the the one who does the printing it's you know print, print on demand you know sure. so, books. Sure. Yeah. and then uh every time somebody has thought david how does david know this when i'm giving dates or whatever it's you sir <laughs> like a lot of time most of the time it's uh lord running clams research so again thank you so much for that uh, professor wilson do you have anything else you wanted to say I'm good. So nice to meet you, and hopefully we'll see you soon. We'll see next you in Colorado year. next year. Yeah. Yeah. June 13th to 16th, 2024, Fort Morgan, Colorado. It's a beautiful town, and, and you guys will love it there, and I hope to see you then. Thank you, David. You know, see us all there. We'll we'll all be hanging out. And you can yeah, we don't know what we're going to do yet, but it, it'll be good. Uh, how, how can I say that? I'm not sure what we're going to do. We're still working it out. Uh, we won't even kick in the high gear until August because there's so much going on, you know. But um, yeah, we'll have, we'll have a good we'll have a good time in Fort Morgan. Uh, it's a nice town. They're wonderful people. Uh, yeah, it'll be great. All right. Well, as our as we always sign off on dickheads, keep it paranoid. Stay paranoid. Mm-hmm.